Everybody dry your eyes uh, really quick. But it is emotional, right? I mean, um, it's a mixed emotion. I can remember uh, having four daughters. I can remember experiencing the same type of feeling uh, with each of them in subsequent ways. But I can remember the very first time of feeling the emotion of being a parent was with our oldest. uh, and it was uh, the late 90s, Veronica and I were in our 20s, and I can remember finding out that we were going to have our first child. Uh, and the first feeling is kind of one of you, once you get past the shock, okay? After you get past the shock, it's just one of euphoria and joy. You're so excited. Uh, at least we were. We were excited to tear, tell our family and our friends. And uh, I mean, we took pictures and all those kind of things, and we were just trying to commemorate today because we were so, so unbelievably excited. But quickly, uh, the emotions got mixed, and I'll just be perfectly transparent today, that uh, joy quickly turned into fear. I got really scared really quick, and uh, the first thing I can remember being afraid of was the naming process, because that's a really big deal, like you're going to give this person the name that they're going to have for the rest of their life. Uh, And I took it upon myself, my job, my task, and the whole name uh, game thing. We went back in the day before we really had internet, we went to Books a Million, I believe, when that was still around. Uh, We went to Books a Million, got a name book. And we were going through that and looking through all the names and all those kind of things. And my job was to see what the names rhymed with, to call out all the names that they would be made fun of when they went to school. That was my job. And so uh, there's a lot of names that uh, rhyme with a lot of things that you don't realize until you start going through there. And we got rid of a lot of names. And I was afraid, like, I didn't want my child to experience, you know, the pain of being made fun of in school. But quickly, those, uh, those fears kind of were... Uh, more pronounced, and I can remember, uh, okay, well, we've got to get a room ready now. We've got to get a right theme. We've got to get the right colors and uh, all that kind of stuff. So we get the room ready, and then you've got to fill the room, right? And fortunately, they've got showers for a lot of this stuff, but I can remember even going in back in the day, realizing going to, uh, uh, I think it was Walmart. It was before Target, you know, but you go in there, and you're like saying all this stuff, and there's tons of gadgets that they have for, for newborns now that they didn't even have then, uh, but you go in there, and it's a really overwhelming, and the most overwhelming part of it honestly, is when you uh, don't know exactly what you need, but you start checking out the price tags uh, of thing. Uh, And then you realize that there's a big question, how in the world are we going to pay for this? And I remember actually thinking, okay, well, maybe when they get past diapers and formula, it's going to get cheaper, you know? There's a few giggles out there uh, because I just let you know it don't it doesn't get any cheaper. Those are kind of the cheap days. They just kind of get more expensive. I can remember how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to be able to afford this? And then I can remember even getting closer to school and thinking, okay, well, then you start thinking about what school? Where do you need to live? What class are they going to be in? Are they going to make the honor roll? Are they going to even be able to pass? All those kind of things. And then you get onto the teams, uh, the sports teams, and trying to find their thing, you know? And then you become that parent that's like, oh, my kid needs to be, uh, have more playing time. Some of you coaches, you know what I'm talking about uh, out there, where you're the parent, where you're like, ah, oh, my kid's great. They need to be playing more, and all these kind of things. And then you got into uh, high school and college and dating and driving, and there's just a whole lot of mixed emotion and embedded in all the fear is this intermittent joy and fear interplay going on. It's just a mixed bag of emotions. But if you go underneath the emotions, because you always kind of have to go underneath it, what you realize is those emotions are grounded in expectation. You see, mixed emotions are grounded in mixed expectations. Because underneath all the fear, quite honestly, was really a deeper question. Will my child be okay? And even past that, I'll just be honest with you, my big question, my big fear was, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be good enough to be a dad, to be a parent? 
You see, underneath those expectations and underneath those emotions, uh, I think if you've been through it, you probably know, like you've never experienced so much joy, but you've also equally so never experienced so much fear. And that's because the task is just so weighty. It's such an important thing. God has empowered and infused this relationship to really set the course and the trajectory of the entire world. And so it's a really, really big deal. And so I'll just say out of the gate, I, I know what it's like to wrestle with the emotions and I know what it's like to carry the weight of the expectations. But here's what I also know. I also know that God has given us some ancient eternal truths that actually will help us and grant us what we need, the tools that we need in order to do what we all really want to do. Because here, isn't it true that what we all really want to do at the end of the day is we want to be really good parents. We want to be a really good parent. We want to do well. We want to make good decisions. And then ultimately, we want to raise healthy, happy kids. We all do. And you don't have to be a person of faith to do that. You can just be human and want those things. And so God, in his awesome wisdom, in his goodness, has given us the three things that we need in order to be able to carry the weight of expectations and wrestle with all the emotions. And those three things are really simply this. I think there's all kinds of things you could say, but I think these are the three most important to me. He gives us the knowledge, he gives us the strength, and he gives us the support. And it all begins with something that we all tell our kids. And that's the word, listen. Have you ever said that to your kids? Hey, listen. And God does that exact same thing. As a matter of fact, there's a Hebrew word called Shema. Uh, and it was the Hebrew word for listen. And it was God talking to his people, his children. And he was giving them instruction on exactly how he had designed them to live. And this good father that calls his children to listen, this, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, if you've got a copy of God's word, I, I welcome you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, it actually, this particular passage, uh, took this word, listen, and it became the bedrock, the foundation for the people of God for millennia. It was the ancient eternal truth, the heart and the mind of God for his people that still in 2021 is the course uh, trajectory for the church. It, it, it's for humankind. It's what he's called us to be. And so he calls us to listen. And so as we unpack Deuteronomy chapter six today as a church, this is a vision Sunday. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually give you five statements that if you're a member here or you would call this home on some level, I want you to go ahead and take something out to write with. And I want you to jot these down. And if I blow past them pretty fast, um, uh, just know we're going to put them on social media this week, and so you can go back and revisit that and jot those down as well. Uh, but you can either take your phone out. Uh, I'll give you an excuse to go ahead and get your phone out and do that. Uh, type these notes down. Write these things because I think that is a Vision Sunday, not just a commissioning, but it's an accepting of the responsibility that God has given us as we look into the future. And I do believe, and I say this, as we move into the latter part of 2021, come out of a crazy year and out of a crazy uh, season when there's so many questions and so much uncertainty. I believe what the Lord wants us to do is call us forward with an intentional direction. And this is a huge part of that for us as a church because I believe that he has really good things on the other side. But we've got to catch the vision and we have to listen. So I'm going to give you the first statement out of the gate. Then we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 and it'll set the course for us and lead us along the way. Here's the statement. It's going to be a belief statement and a becoming statement. 
The first is this, is that we believe that God has created us in his image. And because of that, then that calls us to become something. And the thing that he calls us to become is this, we, we will become a people who walk in his way. He's created us in his image, and he's called us to walk in his way. We've been talking a lot about a church, about being a people that are being shaped that faith for us is becoming not just individuals with an individual relationship with God, but God is forming a community, a people. And so as we dig in, this is the bedrock foundational element for us to understand what it means for us to follow him and to become what he's designed us to become. We will become a people who walk in his way. Look at Deuteronomy 6 with me, and we'll see where we get this. This is what the word of God says to the people of God coming out of captivity and entering into their future. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. The, the introduction to the Shema is, uh, is rooted in this understanding that you have a God who is a creator God. He gives us commands, decrees, and laws. And if in the spiritual sense, that's kind of hard to grasp, or maybe that's a little hard to digest uh, for some of our modern sensibilities. Well, I, I like to use the illustration that it's much like what, uh, what we experience in the physical world. These spiritual uh, decrees and laws and commands are much like what we experience in the physical world. I mean, when you woke up this morning, nobody was asking physical or questions of physics. You just entered into them. Uh, you might have asked the question when you rolled out of bed this morning, honey, are we going to go today? You might have asked that. Uh, but what you probably didn't ask is, honey, is there going to be gravity today? Nobody asked that question this morning. At least I don't think you did. If you did, you can raise your hand and you can refute me. But most of us, we don't think about the laws of physics. We don't think about the things that are integrated into that govern the way in which we live in a physical world, in a physical universe. Nobody questions this. We assume them. And the reason that we assume this is we know, and scientists have told us uh, through the years, through the, through the centuries, that as they've studied the world and all that is, they have come back to some irrefutable laws uh, that gravity exists. The laws of aerodynamics exist. I mean, matter of fact, you're going to have to take a test on them someday. Some of you that are going to go into physics, some of you failed physics uh, because you couldn't remember all these, uh, these laws of physics, but they are experienced Every single day, laws of gravity, laws of aerodynamics, and so on and so forth. Well, the same God that created those physical laws to help us to operate in a world that is not chaotic but is ordered is the exact same God that created spiritual laws to help us to walk in unity with him, to be what he's called us to be and to live out his purpose and calling. And the good thing about this good God is that we don't just have a creator that created the world to work a certain way. We have a God who actually spoke to us and told us how the world was supposed to work. And he gave us these commands. He gave us these decrees and he gave us these laws not so that we would have to discover them because we ran off the road into the ditch but that we can preemptively listen for those that have gone before us to what God has revealed and then what we can do is we can begin to walk in his way and so we believe that the world was, has a creator and we believe that we were all created by him and we believe he was a good creator that doesn't want us to experience uh, chaotic living physically nor spiritually or relationally. He wants us to be grounded 
And he wants us to be able to walk in his way. And so as we move into the future, what our hope is as a church is that we will see everyone through the lens of the image of God. We will see each person as a human being, a bearer of that image, sons and daughters of the king. And then we will say, how has God created us to live, act, and be? And as we grow in that, God will help us to move into the reality and the fruition of what he's actually called the church to be. And that will lead us to our second statement of belief in becoming, and this, this, is the other thing that we'll do is we believe that no family should walk alone. You've already heard us say that. You've seen that reflected, and you've even accepted the commission as a church to say that these families that have come before us today, that they're not going to walk alone. But we will become, if that's what we believe, we will become a place that actually widens the circle. What does that mean? Well, that means that uh, there's a point in uh, the life of your son or daughter where uh, they're going to need another voice in their life. Uh, And it's going to be before you realize they need it. And it's going to be before they realize they need it. You see, the way that God has given and instructed the church is he doesn't just give us individual calls. He gives us a collective call. You actually see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. In the next part of that passage, watch this. It can sneak up on you. You can kind of miss it. But he says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Did you see that? He didn't just give instructions, decrees, and commands and laws to individual people or individual families. He called the people of God to widen the circle, to understand that what he's calling us into is not an individual pursuit. And what would they do? They would, uh, they would walk together. They would uh, live in community together. This is extremely hard and getting more difficult in our day. I mean, uh, we're already... <clears throat> Separate. I mean, you look at the last year. I mean, you look at it. Uh, we're more isolated than we've ever been. Many of you have struggled uh, probably with just that fact. I mean, we as a church, we've been isolated. We've been separate. Our, our patterns, our rhythms, our meeting times, our gatherings, we, we miss the kind of the coming and the going and just saying, hey, how are you doing? All those things that happen as you're getting coffee in the foyer and bumping up against one another. And we're living these isolated and individualistic lives. And I truly believe that one of the greatest obstacles and dangers in the future is if we will continue to gravitate in toward isolation rather than enter into community. And what that means is that we have to welcome and enter into widening the circle. And what that means simply for us is there's two sides to that. One side is that as a family, uh, as an individual family, that means that you have to take steps to actually show initiative to step into the circle. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, in, uh, in modern day, it seems like, uh, and I've watched this over the years, and I, this is not an indictment on any one person, or it's not an indictment on you, or really me. It's just kind of what we've experienced socially over the last 25 years or so, really, is we've become a lot more isolated, and we've become a lot more consumeristic just in our, in our nature. Uh, uh, we, we buy things online now, uh, which fortunately, because we don't have a mall, we can do that. Uh, but we buy things online. Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of things from home, uh, home shopping, home learning, 
all those type of things. And what's happened to us, I think, as a society is we've become a lot more consumeristic. I mean, we just kind of come and say, hey, what can I get from this experience? And uh, what we understand, though, is that what this is calling us to do is not to come just to see what can I get, but it's saying, hey, what can I give? Because when we all enter in and say, hey, what can I give, then everything, everyone has something to gain. And so individual families have to show the initiative. But here's the thing, the things that we want to provide in widening the circle are really predicated and contingent upon all of us entering in to say we want to be a part of partnering together so the circle can grow and the circle can widen. That means those of you that are, uh, uh, you've already raised your kids, to step in and to say, well, as part of the people of God, I have a voice in helping to support those that are on in this generation raising theirs. God's given you experience. He's given you wisdom. He's, he, he, you've learned through your failures, all those type of things. You've learned through your successes. You've, you've walked with God through the ups and the downs. And now you get to kneel with a third grader. You get to speak into the life of a junior higher. You get to sit across the table and have coffee with a senior high student that is embarking on the next chapter of their life at each phase, at each stage. We widen the circle. And I'll just be honest with you, we've got a lot of growing left to do, but here's what I see when I look into the future. I see so much potential. I see so much potential because what we get the chance to do is honestly, like as we go into this year, we get a chance to almost relaunch to, to kind of express new terms, to chart new paths, but it will happen if and only if we widen the circle. Because here's what I know about being a parent, is there's gonna be a time when you need another voice. Uh, it's gonna be that time when uh, perhaps uh, your voice sounds like that teacher uh, to your teenager uh, from Charlie Brown. Uh, I'm saying that to all the parents because you know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That wah-wah, wah-wah-wah-wah. That's what it sounds like to your teenager, perhaps, or something like that. But what if they have a relationship with someone that's invested them over a course of time that can actually speak truth in a loving way, in a way that it can be received, and can know them in a facet of a life that you can't know them, to be able to help them along their journey? You see, we all need knowledge, we all need strength, and we all need support. Now, here's what we know is what that leads us to is that leads us to opening the door for every kind of family because we've got this belief. We believe that God loves every single family. And not only does he love every family, we believe that when he loves every family, then that means that we will become a place that embraces imperfect families. There is this, uh, this thought, honestly, I think, that uh, when you come to church, and I don't know how it got this way, I don't know when it got this way. Uh, maybe it's always been this way, but I think there's this feeling that when you come to church, you've got to have it all together. You've got to have everything together. You come in. This is the place where all the people that have it all figured out, they're good parents, and they know how to do devotionals and Bible studies, and they listen to all the Christian music, and they do all those kind of things, and they make really good decisions, and maybe they're, maybe they're upper middle class, and they're all those kind of things, and we think, well, this is the perfect picture of what a family is supposed to be. And we all have whatever that image is. And we know that oftentimes when we're honest about ourselves, whatever that image is, we're not that. That's not who we are. We're all imperfect people. But oftentimes what we do is we come into church and we say, well, that's not a place for me 
Because that's where everybody has it figured out. That's the place for all the good people, the perfect people. And those of us, the danger is those of us that find this place home, oftentimes we somehow uh, subconsciously or unconsciously think, well, that's what it is. I mean, we're, we are the good people, right? And we exclude people that are imperfect because here's the thing. What God welcomes us into is he welcomes us into a story that is made up of imperfect people. And what it's going to take for us is it's going to take us embracing our imperfections. And so if you've been looking for a church that's got some imperfect people in it, well, you're, congratulations, you're sitting in the middle of them and you're being spoken to by one of them. That this is not a place for perfect people. This is not a museum where we hang the, the beautiful art of all the people that have it together. This is the place where we all come because we all understand what it's like to be people that are in need of a savior. We need God to step into our story and we need to walk in his story. And so we believe that God loves every family and we believe that we wanna become a place that embraces imperfect people, imperfect families. And if you're wondering, I mean, if you look at the scripture, somebody said, well, isn't there a biblical family? Yes, there is. And matter of fact, if you just read the stories of the families uh, in the Bible, you're gonna feel a lot better about yourself really quick. I mean, Noah got drunk. Abraham sold his wife off or promised his wife off. You've got uh, uh, Rebecca scheming with her son to trick his dad. You've got Joseph and his brothers selling him into slavery because they kind of uh, pulled back on the whole plot to kill him. I mean, you've you got David committing adultery or worse, committing murder. You've got all these people. These are biblical families because what this reveals to us is that God wants us to embrace imperfect families because we're all imperfect families. It's the only kind of family that there are. And so with that, we want to become a place that embraces every single family, all families. And you see it, don't you, in the next part of the passage, you see kind of why that is. If you watch how it said, you see that it's written in the heart of God, this heart of love for people. If you skip down into verse two, it says, so that your, you, your children, and your, their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees, commands that I give you. And watch this, so that you may enjoy long life. So that you may enjoy long life. Here's God's heart for every family. This is his passion for every family. This is how we know he loves every family because he wants for them what you want for your kids. This is, this is a parent statement. This is, if I, if I ask any parent in here, I would ask you, hey, what do you want for your kids, you would probably tell me two things. This would be in the top five, probably. The first thing you'd say is, I want my kids to be happy. I, I want them to be happy. And what you mean by that is you don't mean that you want them to be rich. You don't mean that you want them to have everything that they ever wanted. You just mean that down in where it really matters, with wherever they find themselves in life, whatever job they have, or whatever relationship they have, or wherever they live, you want them to have this deep sense that they're right, they're okay, they're happy with life, they're content with life. And I don't have to tell you, do, do I, that this is going against the current of our culture. There is more depression, anxiety, and stress at younger ages than ever before. But we all want for our kids to be happy. And the other thing that we want for them is we want them to be healthy. We want them to be healthy. We want them to physically healthy, emotionally healthy, relationally healthy. We want them to be psychologically healthy. We want our kids to be healthy and happy. And that's exactly what God wants for us. 
It doesn't mean that God wants you to have a new car or, or have a million dollars in the bank. It's not that he's trying to, uh, it's not a prosperity promise. What this is, is that God, where it matters for you, he wants you to be whole. Why? Because he created you to know him, to love him, to be whole in every part of your being. It's what God called shalom in the Old Testament to the people of God. He wants us to be complete and well. But here's the trick. While we would all say that we want that, that we want to embrace imperfect families, here's what it will mean. It means that if that's true for us, that we will always be a messy place. I know what y'all's houses look like, parents. And I'm not talking about when your grandparents come over and you shove everything in the closet, right? Or your friends come over. I know what they look like probably right now, this morning, because you were getting ready to come here. I mean, there's stuff everywhere, right? And the funny thing is, you just cleaned it up 30 minutes ago, but it just all got pulled back out. Bill, you're not in agreement. Like you're saying amen. I know you are, right? Because we've all lived this. If you've had kids, this is what it's like. You pick it up, it comes right back out, right? I, I know what it's like in your car. Oh, you're laughing. Y'all are really laughing at that. Cheerios everywhere, right? Stuff you didn't, even, you didn't even own a year ago, now you're like, I can't fit it all in this SUV that we bought and we have this uh, payment for, right? Why? Why? Because we, we know that to have kids equals mess. That the joy of the relationship of family comes with some costs, doesn't it? And here's the thing, we have to be devoted as a church to be a messy place. If you get frustrated because Journey is a messy place, because it has messy people in it, then you need to find another church. Because if we are following God's vision for our church, we will always be a messy place. But that's not the whole story. We will also be a hopeful place. We're going to be a hopeful place a place that in the middle of the mess of life, in the middle of the chaos that we're all experiencing in life and raising kids together, we will become a place that is the epicenter of hope for our families, our schools, our community, and the world. And the reason for that is, is that I really firmly believe that imperfect families have the biggest platform. Here's what I mean. We believe that every family is a platform to tell God's great story of redemption and restoration. There's something about when people will look at an imperfect family or an imperfect person, and that person is honest and transparent about their failure, but can point back to the God of their salvation, and it will magnify him and it will diminish our view, and it will actually produce unity through a whole bunch of imperfect people because we will center around and become a platform for God's great story of redemption and restoration. And so what does that mean, though? That means that we'll have to become a place that lives for a bigger story. There are so many different stories out there as individuals and churches. We get tripped up all the time. Uh, as families, we think it's all about their grades, don't we? We think about for us as parents, it's about what we can provide. Now you got to provide all the lessons. Uh, I mean, used to be we played every sport, right? And we were not really good at any of them, uh, at least me. Uh, but, you know, the idea that we're going to have specialized lessons and pay all this money for all these things, I'm not in, this is just the way we live now. But there's this, in, this kind of this uh, coercive thing, this, uh, this thing beneath us that says, well, this is who we are, this is what it's about. 
It's about making sure that our kids are successful at every level. And we want your kids to be successful. And we want to partner with you in that. But here's the thing is that ultimately there has to be a bigger story as families. There has to be something bigger that we're living for. And churches, we're the same way. We, we get satisfied with so many smaller stories than the story of redemption and restoration of God. We, we settle for all kinds of things in churches that are not really the gospel and not really about what God wants us to become and what he wants us to do. And what we will have to become if we believe that every family is a platform for God's great story of redemption and restoration, then we have to be a place that are committed to living a bigger story. And that means that we will not allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that we are about smaller ones. This is what God's calling us to. This is where he's taking us. And ultimately, this leads us into the final part and what he's calling us to be and do. You see it in the next part of Deuteronomy chapter six. If you look at verse two, so that your children, their children, uh, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands. This is that big story. This is a huge story, right? I mean, this is not just about you. This is about your children, and this is about their children after them. That means that there are no small things that we're doing. There's no small event. There's no small moment. Everything matters. Everything is just infused with power when you're raising children. Every stage matters. Every phase matters. Every day matters because the clock is ticking toward adulthood. And here's the beautiful thing for parents is God gives you about 3,000 hours a year to spend and invest in your children. And that pales in the comparison what other people dial in. But what we get to do together is we get to come around those 3,000 hours and we get to play our part. We get to speak into that because this is a really big, big story. Now, what is it going to take? Well, he outlines three quick things. I'll hit them real quick. The first thing to find our purpose, though, is to understand where our purpose begins. It begins with our posture. What did he say? He says that they may fear the Lord. Here's the thing. Parents, uh, individuals, the best gift that you can give your kids is your own personal relationship with Jesus. That's the best gift you can give them. Better than new clothes, better than a new car, uh, better than new sports equipment, better than the best lessons that you can ever, the best gift you can give them is your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, a posture before God means this. It means that we are living in reverence of God every single moment of our life. Now, not perfect, but it means an awareness of walking with God. Here's what I mean. I can remember being in, in high school and um, uh, I, I had some friends that uh, I was really close to, and uh, uh, they had some parents that we went to church with, and uh, there were several of them. And uh, I, I remember this one distinct conversation with some of my friends. We were talking about following God, and we were talking about finding faith, and uh, I was talking to my friends, and they were saying, well, you know what, uh, like, I, I don't think I can really believe, I don't really believe this stuff. And I was kind of like, well, well, why not? You know, I mean, why not? We're all kind of asking these questions together. And here's what the, I can remember being distinctly said by one of my friends. He said, well, here's the thing is, you know, my dad, right? I said, yeah, I know your dad. Uh, he was active in the church, showed up every Sunday, all those kind of things, dressed real nice, all that kind of stuff. He said, yeah, I mean, he comes to church, but you don't know him like I know him. You don't know what I know about him. He's a completely different person when, when, when we leave church. And he began to unpack all this stuff about his dad. And this is not to harp on any one person because here's the thing, is that God's grace is big enough for all of us. 
But here's what fearing the Lord means. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean perfection. It means consistently going before the Lord, and it means congruence. It means that what I'm doing publicly is matching and growing in my private life. And what God calls us to be as individuals is a group of people that we're walking in fear of the Lord. Not perfect, but what we're doing is we're saying, God, you are real, you're present, you matter, you're our master and you're our Lord, and you have created us in your image. Lord, we want to live to reflect your glory. And so that is the beginning of our purpose, if you're searching for purpose today. But our purpose is not only beginning somewhere, it's sustained by something. Our purpose is actually sustained by our obedience. You see, decrees, laws, uh, and commands are meant to put us on a course. Uh, they provide guardrails in our life, and they point us toward the person of Jesus. They help us to see him. Because every time we trip and fall on our face, we go to our kids and we say, you know what, I should have said that. We say, I, you know, I, I was wrong for that. They see our imperfections. They have a front row seat to our failure. But what we get to dial in is we get to say, hey, when I wasn't obedient, here's God's grace. And when I was obedient, here was God's empowerment that empowered me to do that. Because here's the thing, what God's calling us to do is he's calling us to be a people that have a posture of reverence for God and that we walk in his way. But here's the beauty of it. You're like, man, that sounds kind of difficult. It sounds like a checklist faith. It sounds like what I've heard about all religions. But here's what's unique about the belief in Jesus and following Jesus is that our purpose, though it begins with a posture and a sustained obedience, is an experience in the context as a relationship. It's a relationship. It's much what you would do with your kids, like, you know, this relationship that you never thought you could feel this for your kids, right? And there is a natural attachment and love that they have for you, especially in those early years where like they, you know, like they, uh, they're addicted to mom and dad, you can't even take them, you know, or vice versa, whatever, their mama's uh, boy or uh, mama's girl or whatever, vice versa. Why? Because there's, there's something about that relationship. There's something about it. And what God does is he calls us not to a list, but he calls us to a relationship with him. That's the way our purpose is experienced. And so if we say we want our kids to be happy and healthy, the best thing we can give them is our own personal relationship with Christ. We can give them our consistency and congruence of our life, and we can go to, him, go to them for forgiveness when we fail. But then what we can also do is we can begin to usher them into a relationship with God. Now, as we finish that up, here's how the whole thing kind of is summarized together. It says this at the last part. Verse four and five, skip down to the bottom. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These are all relational words. These are, uh, this is like every part of you, right? This is the way that God has created us to function. So religion is not just coming to church on Sunday. It's about a way of life. It's about a relationship with God. And here's what that means, is that we believe that this relationship means that God calls every single family to his great story. Think about families right now in your life. Families you know. Families you go to school with. Families you're at the ball field with. What families do you think are disqualified from God's great story? Be honest with yourself. Now, I'm not asking anybody to be judge, jury, and executioner, but there's probably somebody in your mind, you're like, man, if I don't see that happening. And it might not be somebody you go to school with. It might be you. It might be your family. I think I'm disqualified from God's great story. I mean, you don't know, I don't, I don't even know how to find the books of the Bible. Like I, 
I don't even know where my Bible is right now, to be honest with you. I, I, I want to, but I, I don't really know. I feel like I'm disqualified from God's great story. I want you to hear from me. You are not. God's call is for every single family to be a part of his great story. The problem is that all of us hold up this perfect picture, and we all have it, of what we're supposed to be. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not that. But here's what God invites us into. He invites us into the story that he meets us exactly where we are. When he had that group of people in Deuteronomy 6, I mean, they hadn't done anything for him. Only thing that they did was receive his rescue. That's the only thing that they did to become his people. God did that for them. And God wants to do that for you. And God wants to do that for your family. But here's what that means. If you believe that, and I think you believe that, even you, you believe it up here if you don't really receive it yet, but you believe that. You know that's got to be true about God. If that means, if that's true, then that means that we will have to become something. What will we become? We'll have to become a people who live like we're commissioned. You see, commissioning was never supposed to be a ceremony. Um, I mean, I don't even know what other churches do. Like, I mean, it's just what we did, right? Commissioning is about receiving the responsibility and walking in the responsibility together. Accepting and embracing imperfect people together. To walk in his way together. Widening the circle together. Going through the mess together. Being hopeful together. Having the knowledge, the strength, and the support from one another together. But we have to live intentionally like we're commissioned. I mean, you see that, right? And I want to end with this last part of the passage and then we'll close up. But I want you to see it. Here's how the whole Shema ends. He says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That pretty much covers all life. I mean, when you're in the van and you're throwing the Cheerios at them, you know, just be quiet, you know. Talking about God then too. Yeah, God's like a, the Holy Spirit's like a Cheerio. I don't know how you do it, but you're doing something. You know, when you're frustrated and the house is a mess, you know, when you're walking along and they're experiencing relationship problems with their friends. They're going through something that happened online they're struggling because they didn't make the team or they didn't get to play in time or they missed the shot. They're struggling because they don't know who they are anymore and they're asking really deep questions about God. You see, as you go, these are not things that you can just schedule. These are happening as you go. And that means that together, we're gonna need each other. And we have not as a church always done really well at this. We've tried. It hasn't been because we haven't tried. It's just really hard to be honest with you, it just really is. But if it's ever gonna happen, and I still believe, at almost 48, I still believe it can happen. And the reason I believe that is because I believe that's God's desire and his design for his people. But I also know, I'm not naive, I also know that if it's going to happen, it will take us being committed and acting like we're commissioned to do it. And it won't be just a few of us, it'll be all of us. And I believe that that's what God wants us to be as a church. And uh, it, I mean, that's just the real. That's just what I think. 
And so if you, if you missed any of those, I got a quick summary for you. I'll throw them up here on the screen. We'll pop through them really quick, and then I want to make a statement, and we'll finish. Here's what we'll do. We're going to walk in his way. We will embrace imperfect families. Go on. We will live for a bigger story. We will live like we're commissioned, and then we'll circle down to the top, and we'll widen that circle. And so the question becomes for each one of us, how does that happen? Well, it happens in a couple ways. One is what we're going to do here is we're going to create environments for this to happen. All right. As we launch back into the rest of this year, we've got a lot of things that we need to do. Um, we shut everything down, kind of, uh, quite honestly, with COVID, and we've got to relaunch. And the question will be, what do we relaunch to do, and how will it function? And uh, we believe that there are some simple things that we need to do, and at the core of that means that we have to have people that are ready to step in and partner. And I've said it already, but uh, if you're older adult in here, we need you. You have wisdom, experience, and knowledge that's needed. I have people ask me all the time, well, am I wanted here? Am I needed here? How do I fit here? Yes. Yes. We need you. And we want to help you, and we want you to help us, because that's what this is. And if you're younger, if you're a college student, or you're a young adult, or you're a teenager, do we need you? Yes. We need you. We need you. We need your life. We need your uh, anticipation. We need your joy, your exuberance. We need your technology. I, don't, I mean, quite honestly, you know, uh, we need to be able to, we have to have you program our phones. So we need you <laughs> for things. Uh, we need you here. And so I want you to ask yourself a question. Are you willing to partner? Uh, there's no fluff to that. There's no emotional pull. It's just really just a question. It, are you willing to be a part of widening the circle? Are you ready to widen the circle? We've got a couple of other things that we're doing, not only just journey groups from birth all the way through senior high for our family ministry, but we're also preparing to launch this fall Journey Kids Village, which is a two-day-a-week program designed specifically toward the earliest ages with a concentration on a holistic environment toward education and support for families, toward our whole community, not just our church. There's a big vision behind all that stuff, but we're starting with a two-day-a-week uh, program in this fall. Our registration is going to open up uh, next week on the 15th, I think is what they're saying. Uh, it'll go on for a month to lock in those spaces and we'll get the ground running and we'll build it over time. There's going to be a lot of different things, but here's what we need from you. We need you to partner with us. And here's two ways you can do that. The first way is this. Today, what you can do is you can go to journeyjonesworld.com slash serve. We are right now preparing to build teams for the fall. Okay, so you're not, when you do this, if you go ahead and fill this out today, which I'm asking you to do, all you're doing is beginning a conversation. You're not signing up for the next 10 years or five years or a whole year. You're just saying, hey, I want you to know as we relaunch, I'm ready to partner, be a partner, part of what God's doing here. And we'll begin a conversation and we'll prepare and we'll get everything ready for the fall uh, and we'll continue to build up until then, but we're really going to hit go in August and we need you to be a part of that. Um, the other thing, I'm gonna, the other way you can partner with us is through giving, journeyjonesworld.com slash give. I don't talk about money a whole lot. Uh, and the reason for that is, is because I know that people have a lot of questions about church and whether or not we're just some big pyramid scheme and trying to get money. Uh, if you would survey the last year uh, and count how many times I've talked about money, you've probably counted about two times. I, I try not to do that because I care about uh, you and so many of you have been so faithful over the year uh, to continue to give without me even talking about it. You've, you've been continuing to go online and give. 
But I'll just be real with you. Like going forward, um, God has blessed us extremely. But in order for us to move into what God has for us, uh, to provide scholarships for families that can't afford that program, uh, to be able to outfit rooms, uh, to be able to provide scholarships for kids and teenagers to go on trips or be a part of things that they wouldn't otherwise be a part of, outreach and all the things that we, that we need to do, just the week-to-week things that we need to do to sustain ministry so that we can continue to move forward. It takes tithes and offerings to do that. And what we need to grow in, uh, uh, and, and, and I'll say this because I'm the one that doesn't talk about it, is we need to grow as a culture of generosity that we're investing in this big story together and it takes all of us to do that. And so those of you that have been doing that, I wanna say thank you for that. And those of you that, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of wrestling with that, I'm gonna invite you into that uh, because when we serve together and we give together, then God is going to do great things through us and we're actually gonna see him work in our community in ways that we would never have fathomed otherwise. And so that's the vision. That's where we're headed for family ministry. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you, if you would, just to finish this time up together. I want to ask if you would bow in prayer. We're not having the band come out. We're not singing another song. Then I'll ask you not to just get up and bolt out of here quite yet. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just ask the Lord what he's calling you to do. For some of you, it may be that you want to plug into a church, this one or another one. For some of you, it may be saying, okay, I want to use this as a marker in my life this day to begin to walk with the Lord and pursue him and all that that means. And for some of us that call this home, uh, this may be the day where you're saying to God, God, I'm willing to use my gifts, talents, and abilities to invest and lock arms with this group of people to be a part of this vision for the future. Would you just now receive from God just a clarity of what he's calling you to do? I'm gonna give you just a couple seconds in silence to do that. Father, you have spoken to so many in here, and uh, Lord, you've encouraged us today by the potential. Uh, Lord, we're all in this together. We're not walking alone, uh, but some of us feel alone. So the person that feels alone today that needs assistance, Lord, I ask first and foremost that through your spirit, you would speak to them and give them peace. And Lord, that you would help us to become the type of church that we've described today. Lord, there are so many places where we're weak and we have failed in the past. And Lord, we want to grow, not numerically, God, right now. We're not asking for that. We're asking, God, that you would grow us deeper and help us to become the type of people that you want us to become. Lord, we know that that's gonna take us becoming a place that's willing to be messy. Uh, It's going to be a place where we have to come in with hope. We're gonna have to walk with you and hear from you. And so, God, we've been asking this over the course of this year, but we definitely ask it today specifically. We ask that as we follow you, we would follow you together and that we would minister to our community and we would become what you created your people to become in the very beginning, a people that become a shining light around us, that we would be the bearers of hope. And so, God, would you strengthen us for that task? Would you solidify us around your son? And would you help us, God, to unify around the calling that you've given us to be and to do? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.